Welcome on to a special preview of Dunked On Prime. We're doing this all week before the season starts, catching you up on many of the season previews that we've done on Dunked On Prime. And the hope, of course, is that you will subscribe for this season. We are offering not the best deal ever because that was for founding members, but the second best deal ever for a one-year membership for Dunked On Prime total access. That includes access to our discords, our chats, the same cap sheets and free agent lists that Danny and I use, which are updated in real time during transaction periods and a bunch of other odds and ends as well. In addition to at least four and recently more subscription podcast episodes per week and the fifth dunked on episode commercial free as well so i encourage you to give it a shot this special deal is going to end when the season begins so check it out if you sign up for a year membership you can get 35 percent off the monthly price for dunked on prime total access enjoy the show so i was reminiscing with derek just before we started recording here that we've now been doing this for six years so the first time we did it would have been sam hinky was still the gm jaleel okafor had just been drafted number three joel Embiid was looking at a second consecutive year of inactivity yeah uh it was basically the nadir of the, the process it, it seemed like and who could have guessed that hinky would uh be out essentially you know two months later after we recorded that and then now that of all things the man who is sam hinkey's mentor is now the gm of the sixers it's been an insane offseason for these guys a lot has changed they have a lot more talent they have a lot more wins i have a lot less hair like there has a lot that has gone on here since we've started doing this podcast together uh, i'm grateful every year for you having me on and i'm looking forward to it well thank you man and we are grateful for you coming on and for doing this every year uh but this should be a really interesting one and I think where I'd like to start, we know that they, everyone who hasn't been under a rock knows that they got these basically, you know, a, a new version of what it was in 1718, where the team is now built around Embiid and Simmons again, and they're going to just have shooting and defense, hopefully around those guys. And it's all going to fit well. And it's going to be built around the talents of Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid. So I think the where I want to start here is what to expect from those two players this year. Like this is now, you know, last year, it was you know ben simmons didn't have this amazing playoff run in 2019 they end up losing it seemed like they brought in tobias harris just before that they brought in al horford obviously was the big addition along with josh richardson the plan was eh, you know the offense will we'll get by with the Embiid and some of these other guys and we're gonna have this all-time great defense and that didn't work out yeah and so now they're going back to the having things really focused offensively it seems like more even than defensively around Embiid and Simmons so let's start with Simmons what do we expect from Ben Simmons this season yeah I mean it, it's a it's a the number one question when talking not there's a lot of number one questions it's one a question um whether or not he can make that jump that I think everybody has sort of been waiting for him to make you know he is one of the most both frustrating and also like i the jump he has made defensively i think is big and important and the lack of progress he has made as a jump shooter has been frustrating and something which is unavoidable you know i think before ben simmons went down with his first back injury back in march last year i think he was making progress as a you know sort of half court score in terms of, of scoring initiating um driving towards the basket getting the free throw line he's getting the free throw line more towards the end of the season i think what if you're a sixers fan what you're hoping look any 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 sort of like jump shot that's that's gravy don't expect it if it happens great if it even if it does happen it's going to be in such small quantities we will look at it as maybe a step towards where he needs to be not the end result but i think what you're hoping to see is that with more space with fewer ball handlers with fewer post-up bigs trying to get in his way he can be a little more um a better version of what you saw in january and february of last year is that going to be transformative probably not but i think he is probably in a spot where he can um they can cater towards his strengths and and showcase his strengths a little bit more um he is going to have the ball in his hands a lot you know he's going to split that a little bit with shake milton uh you might see a little bit of seth curry running a little bit of, of pick and roll a little bit of dribble handoff but he's going to be the team's point guard uh, and i think that's going to you know whether you agree with that or disagree with that he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot and they're they going to rely on him to create 
half court offense a little more than he did at times. Um, I think I think you will see a better version. Um, like I said, I think maybe what you're hoping for is he get, gets back to where he was in January and February with a little more space, but a, a transformative offensive player, a complete deviation from what we saw before. I think that would be uh, optimistic. Yeah, you know the real template for what they want from him. I think was that Philly, or I'm sorry, that Indiana game that they played last year. I think it was in Indiana, and he had a ton of points in the first half. He was coming down the lane and transition dunking on people and really attacking in the half court and they're and running a little bit of pick and roll which we did not see hardly any i mean brett brown just in general didn't really care for running pick and roll and certainly the personnel was not amazing for that either and both because they didn't have great pick and roll ball handlers and also just because they didn't have the spacing to do that with things were really clogged up and Al Horford for whatever reason couldn't hit a three when Joel Embiid was on the floor even though he could make him when he was off the floor who knows why that was but so that to me was kind of like 10 or 12 all year when they shared the court it was it was a staggering low number yeah yeah well for listeners uh, of your Sixers beat podcast are well familiar with that stat so I thought it was very interesting that Doc was like yes we're gonna run more pick and roll with Ben Simmons this year and people say, all right, well, you can't do that because you can just go under on him and he does no shooting range outside of the basket area. So does Embiid. And so there's just, you know, if those two guys are going to run pick and roll, there's only so much room there. You can't have them both run right to the front of the rim and try to score. You know, Embiid can pop out a little bit more, um, but it's, you know, it doesn't seem like a perfect pairing, but those those guys are both so good that I think they should try it a little bit more. I mean, the few times that they ran it, it, it I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It didn't seem like hopeless, you know, when they actually, re- like, it seemed like Simmons was able to kind of work it into the mid-range. And then any kind of double team at all that comes to him, then he can set up three-point shooters, which he's one of the best in the league at. So I, I don't know that it's going to work, but they needed to try this, I think, to know what's going to happen for the future of this team. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's you know, I think if you look at the synergy numbers, where you have a pick and roll action with Simmons as ball handler, Simmons making the pass and Embiid receiving the pass. I think the numbers are really, really high, but the, the usage is really, really low. And the reason for that is, you know, what that isn't showing you, it's only showing you the plays they attempted to finish. You know, I think if you look back, a lot of, of the pick and roll action between those two ended up just going nowhere. And you'd go under a screen, you'd cut off a driving lane, and Simmons would kick it out, and they'd start the offense back up, or they'd move to a dribble handoff. I think there's probably a lot of possessions that just went nowhere, that got stuck in mud, and probably wasted some times when they tried to run it. Um, I think I, I think you have to try it a little bit. Uh, do I expect it to be a staple play? No. I mean, it's just... it's. When, you, when you're, we have to really classify a non-shooter here. Like this isn't like a lot of people are like, well, Le- LeBron can function. LeBron is closer to Ray Allen than he is to Benson. Like there's <laughs> a massive gap between a streaky or inconsistent or just not frequent shooter and Ben Simmons. And when you can go under a screen like that, and he's not a threat at all, not a threat from 15 feet, not certainly not a threat stepping back from the three point line. It's just, it is, it is, it is much tougher. You know, you look back to two years ago, which I think is more the, the style of play they're looking to replicate. And certainly the teammates are looking to replicate. You have JJ Redick. I think JJ Redick scored 31% of his points off of dribble handoffs with Joel Embiid. That's not off of dribble handoffs. That's off of dribble handoffs with just Joel Embiid accounted for yeah. nearly a third of his, his, his point total. Um, those are certainly, I think, the kind of plays that fit the Sixers two stars best. That was also a lot of the times what you would use to prevent uh, other teams from sagging off of Ben Simmons. You'd put him in a dribble handoff. I think they'll do a lot more of that this year. Uh, certainly with, I mean, Shake Milton will do a little bit. Um, Seth Curry will do a little bit. Like you, Furkan Korkmaz will do a little bit. I think that will be still more of a, a what they go to. But I do agree. Like you've, at some point, you've just got to see, look, we're going to put you two in a pick and roll action. Uh, you're going to have to learn how to eat up space, whether it's a snug pick and roll, changing the angles. Um, we need to figure out if this can work. Because quite frankly, it's just like, this is the simplest play in basketball. Like when... <laughs> When other teams really just need to get a quality shot off, it would be so great to see, can we call up a pick and roll and can we get a decent look? And the Sixers have just not had that for so many years. Um, I do agree it has a better chance of working when you have better spacing. And certainly this is where, uh, you know, Seth Curry can can help a lot. Um, he is one of the, the, the better catch and shoot players. He has his limitations, but one of the better catch and shoot players in the game. Danny Green can help. Uh, Shake Milton, who, you know, really came on towards the end of the season, they can help. And not having Al Horford uh, can certainly help. But uh, do I expect a high usage of Simmons and Bede pick and rolls? No. It's just, it's it's, it's very tough. Um, I think it's one of those actions where teams see it a couple times and, and you can probably scheme it out of the... Uh, 
out of the offense pretty easily, but it's worth a shot. Yeah, I mean, there's some hope that, you know, if you rescreen or you try to go under on Simmons, once he has a head of steam, he's almost always going to be guarded by someone who's smaller than him. And so then he can get ahead of steam and he's just so close to the basket once you've gone oh, under on him. That, but that's that where he's got to attack. embrace getting the free throw line too. Yes, yes. that that's I mean, that that's actually been one of the bigger disappointments for me with him is just his lack of a power game. You know, he'll do it on like quick duck in post-ups, but then he'll go into like, you know, kind of that fading righty jump hook. Uh, as opposed to just like going right through the guy uh, to get fouled. Um, so I, I think that he, uh, another disappointment, you mentioned this, is he do- the lack of a mid-range game. I mean, he did take 17% of his shots from 10 to 16 feet as a rookie, the Halcyon 17, 18 that it ever wants to get back to. That was down to 4% last year. Um, and he did take a lot more of his shots at the rim, which is, you know, you would think is a good thing, but he did at least, you know, shoot a reasonable percent, like 32% even, and you're like okay well if he could get that up to 39 percent from 10 to 16 feet where he can at least shoot that jumper from the free throw line like he's got that little fade away you know then it could at the end of games there's at least a shot that he can get in the half court but that even that is completely abandoned him to the point where you know he shot 15 percent last year from 10 to 16 feet and he only took as i mentioned four percent of his shots yeah. from there so i i do think that there's an element here that's psychological obviously with the fact that he's not willing to take threes and you know they've tried to get him to do that but I think there's also an element of just feeling like hey we've got all these other guys you know I'm not being asked to be the initiator you know my role on this team is kind of to pass and I think just to psychologically say no it has to be you Ben like you are the one who has the ball because a we don't have many other initiators and b when you're off the ball then it messes things up for those initiators who aren't good enough so I mean I think you got to try I think I want to see ben simmons usage bust up to a level that's in that 25 percent type of range I mean, he's been 22 22 and then down to 21 last year also turns the ball over a crap ton as well part of that's transition so reduction in turnovers and increase in usage to 25 percent that's what i want to see from him this year and if it doesn't happen it doesn't happen but you i think this is where you need to know whether he's capable of doing that or not like it's time this is his age 24 season then Quick break here to remind you that this is a free preview of Dunked on Prime, and we are having a sale if you buy a yearly membership of Dunked on Prime Total Access. You'll get access to our cap sheets, our chats, our free agent rankings, and of course, Dunked on five days a week, ad-free, and that is at 35% off the monthly price for Dunked on Prime Total Access. Or if you want, give it a shot just with a monthly membership as well and see what you've been missing with Dunked on Prime. We are better than ever. We can react instantly. We can do multiple episodes in a day if we want to because we're not beholden to advertisers any longer. And also, if financial circumstances are an issue for you, we have a special deal for those in financial difficulty. You can check out my pinned tweet at Nate Duncan NBA. Click on that letter for more details on that. Now back to this free preview of Dunked on Prime. Yeah, I mean, going back to to before he got injured against Milwaukee in um, in late February. So you go from January 1st until February 11th, uh, which is the game before he got injured. 19-game stretch, 21.3 points, uh, 9.4 rebounds, 7.9 assists. He'll always accumulate those, but 6.8 free throw attempts uh, per game. And he shot 67% from the line. Those last two numbers are really what I'm looking for out of him. Like, can you make that? The, the way you play, and some of that overlapped with Joel Embiid missing time, uh, which certainly impacts the spacing and also the necessity for him to ramp up that usage. But can you replicate that? Can you get to the free throw line? Will you not shy away from that? Will you have success when you get to the free throw line, which then, of course, then dovetails back into um, whether or not you have the confidence to keep getting there. He can get to the free throw line five, six, seven times a night. He can certainly do that. Uh, the question is, is he, like you said, is he going to be strong around the rim? Is he going to embrace going to the free throw line? And if he does that, then you can start seeing some of those snug pick and rolls get to the basket real quickly. Then he can start eating up space and using his size to his advantage, even if he he doesn't have um, really much of a shot at all. So I think that's really the key. Um, will it happen? i cautiously optimistic. Uh, it didn't necessarily translate when they came back into the bubble, but he only played a couple games in the bubble before getting injured again anyway. Um, so hopefully with the back injury uh, being 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 back, we can see whether or not he can get back to... Uh, back to that version of Ben Simmons. And I do think the team construct should be a little more um, agreeable to that. Hey, you want to do a live reaction to some massive news? Uh-oh, go Giannis for it. Giannis Cupo has signed the Supermax. There you go. All those 18 picks that they traded for Drew is more than worth it now. 
more than worth it. Um, um, I mean, that's, like, that's 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 huge, huge for the Sixers. Obviously, that's the team you've got to you've got to get by here over the next three to five years. So. Um, I actually, I think that's actually good for the Sixers. Hmm. You would rather have him in Milwaukee, than like where Boston they have no way Miami. to improve yeah. now than being on Miami or Toronto. That's like true. A good organization. That's true. Like, I actually think the Sixers <laughs> have a have a much better chance of beating Giannis if he's in Milwaukee than if he's in Toronto or or Miami. To put a, to put a Sixers focus on this uh you know which is where where it should be well so danny and i i'm sure we'll talk about that later on um joel Embiid obviously is the other player where i think you know again this strategy of reorienting again around simmons and Embiid. they had this ensemble cast in 2019 that almost beat toronto that they kind of had an ensemble cast again where they're really building more around defense and those guys offensively and now they as you've noted uh in admirable work on many an occasion they squandered all these assets. They squandered the ability to really build a super team around those guys, which it seemed like they might be able to do at some point. And so now the focus is back on them. And if you could turn Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid into two top 10 players in the NBA, then this team still could be a championship contender at some point. So for Joel Embiid, again, we have this discussion every year, you know, can this be the year that he gets into really being, you know, that if not top five, at least, you know, a clear top seven or eight player in the NBA. And how would he do that? Yeah. So I, I think Joel Embiid's path to being the best version of Joel Embiid is for the Sixers to get a real elite perimeter scorer. So he's not asked to be as much offensively as he currently is. Uh, and whether or not Joel Embiid would buy into that role, I'm not 100% sure. Um, in part because we've just never seen any the Sixers have anybody really more talented than him offensively. Maybe that brief set stretch with Jimmy Butler in the playoffs two years ago. And and to be fair, like Joel embraced that and he, he, he pushed Jimmy to be the focal point a lot. Um, I think Joel Embiid to be the best version of himself, to be the take that next step, he needs to make fewer negative plays. Uh, and that comes down to having another option uh, with not being quite so predictable that you're going to dump the ball down to him in the post. Having somebody who can create more offense for him. Uh, having somebody who you can just run a, a basic action. Um, it is it is tough to make a living in the playoffs, in the post, every trip down the floor. And that, to me, is how I think Joel Embiid would become the best version of himself. Now, in terms of what he can do and what he can control, and, and part of that is con- what he can control, too. I, I think he's got to kick it out and repost more. I think he makes too many negative plays and negative decisions, in part because he's relied on so much, but in part, like there are just times where he gets a little bit out of control offensively and too aggressive. But in terms of what he can control outside of that, I mean, it's it's clearly conditioning. It's always been conditioning. It's been probably conditioning every time I've been on this podcast talking to you. They need Joel Embiid to be the same version of Joel Embiid in April and May and, and, and June or however you want to translate that into this year as they have in November and December. And they need Joel Embiid to be the same in the fourth quarter as he is in the first quarter. And that has not been the case throughout his career. Uh, it has been, I think, a part of their struggles to close out games, part of their struggles late to generate fourth quarter offense. Part of it is just that running a post up late in games is is tough to begin with. Um, but he needs to really buy in and, and be in the best shape he can possibly get himself into. And that is where you will see him re- re-enter those top five to top seven conversations again yeah and really his best stretch was 18 19 when you know he came in and he's like no i'm gonna play all all the games uh i'm gunning for the mvp and he was unbelievable you know the first probably 30 40 games of that season and then obviously wore down and you know had the weird knee stuff in the yep. playoffs where he was missing games and so it seemed like there was a different approach last year where we're going to kind of ramp him up and then due to all the injuries and the stuff around him you know we never really got to see whether that worked uh, or not what are the early returns this year i know they they haven't played a preseason game yet as we talk now but I, i'm sure there's sort of been some discussion around this in camp what are the thoughts that people have on like what sort of shape he's in right now i mean you can't see but right now i'm giving you the ascii shrug emoticon um, <laughs> we don't well, see well and... if we haven't heard that it's awesome that's no, not I mean, a great sign you've you've heard that it's awesome um oh, okay but i mean body watching nba training camps i think it was my my colleague seth part now who said the great thing about preseason being short is that unrealistic optimism season is also short um look all the reviews have been good you know they I, doc rivers has has spoken highly of it all his teammates have spoken highly of it um we haven't really gotten to see much outside of what's been posted publicly on twitter uh and and through other means um it, look i 
I, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. But it, it's certainly one of those things where if, if in, you know, six hours, I will have a, a better gauge of that. And then in a month, I will have an even better gauge of that. But the, the teammates, coaches have all been positive. But, you know, how much can you how much stock can you really put in that? Yeah, I, I mean, I guess that is, as I said, better than them not saying that, at least. Um, so, and I think there's just an understanding in the organization, too, that uh, he needed to get there. And so I, my hope would be at least that they aren't, like, bullshitting us. I uh, mean, here, here's one thing I'll say about Joel, and, and, and I think he's got to dedicate himself more to this regardless. But you reference that one stretch in 2018-19, and that was really the only summer he had where he was fully healthy and he could train um, without limitations throughout the offseason. And, yeah. and I think it did help him in that regard. You know, I think this has been a summer where he has been pretty free in terms of what he can do physically uh, that he always hasn't always had. You, you referenced, you know, 2019 when he had the, the knee problems and that slowed him down a little bit in the offseason. So I think there's reason to be optimistic, but I also think there's reason to be like, you've got to show me. And, and at this point, we just haven't really had a chance yet to see it. As we think about this team in the playoffs and we think about a team built around Joel Embiid, as we've talked about so many times, I mean, he is a wonderful post player. I mean, the type of volume and efficiency that he had on post-up plays that he was actually able to finish last year was obviously really awesome. Marc Gasol is now in the opposite conference. There isn't anyone that you look at uh, in the Eastern Conference who you're like, oh man, like this guy actually really matches up well against Joel Embiid, and Embiid has often killed the Celtics as well. But of course, you know, yes, they didn't have Ben Simmons, and they still were stuck with Al Horford some, although they weren't playing him a lot. But he wasn't able to have the impact to even drive a single win against the Celtics last year because, you know, essentially they were able to concentrate on him so much. Uh, or or was it that he didn't play well enough? I mean, it, because if we're thinking about this team, it's like, yes, Joel Embiid is going to be the best offensive player on this team. He's going to be the guy driving offense in the playoffs. I think last year's playoff series could be instructive as far as how he was shut down and then looking at if this team wants to be good in the playoffs going forward, how they can avoid that in the future. Yeah, I mean, he, he certainly came out and he had some success in the first game or two. Uh, he, he had a couple of pretty big games and then he tailed off a little bit there. It just it it just wasn't enough. Um, they really didn't. You know, I think they missed Ben Simmons in a huge way against the Celtics. Part of that was a lot more that was defensively than offensively. Like Simmons had done a real good job on Tatum, and they didn't really have anyone to match up against him. Uh, that, that was just a team that was you know at, at at points you were like, well, is Shake Milton your second best offensive player right now? And it was just it was not a a team that was there wasn't a whole lot around them. Josh Richardson had you know really struggled throughout much of the second half of the season. Uh, you didn't have really go to plays or go to players you know i think and also you compounded that with the team that just couldn't and wouldn't shoot from the perimeter i think they were what like 22nd in terms of three-point attempt rate throughout the season that's not what you want to build around joel and beat um it, it's just it was it was a bad fit under talented uh, i don't give joel too much blame for that um but it was i mean it's certainly like it is we have not seen a team fully built around his his, his skill set and his very unique skill set and that's one thing with, with simmons and Embiid that they're so unique that i think having a team like last year's that that didn't fit them well at all i think it really hurt them in in, in pretty big ways so i'm w- willing to give him a little bit of a mulligan for that uh boston series you know i think i thought maybe they would lose in five and they lost in four uh, and, and it just looked like a team after the first two games and the first game was pretty close and i think the second game was reasonably close too uh, and after that it just looked like their spirit was was pretty much crushed and they were un- under talented to begin with um so i'm willing to give him a little bit of a a mulligan on that one uh, and i'm i'm real interested to see how they look uh now that, like you said, we're a little closer to 2017, 18. Yeah. And uh, as you mentioned, I mean, I think the biggest difference between then, well, number one, they're going to hope that Simmons and Embiid are actually better. Uh, Simmons also had a rough playoffs that year, but then also uh, they're going to uh, really miss JJ Redick because he was kind of the other action that they could go to in the half court. And so other than Joel Embiid posting up and maybe, you know, your second side Tobias Harris pick and roll on occasion, you know, they don't necessarily have that bread and butter like they did uh, with Reddick. No, you don't. And that's one thing that Reddick certainly brought them was they had a they had a go-to play. They had something they could go to, have a reasonable degree of confidence they could get a good shot off. They could get to that action quickly. Um, like when you're talking about stars and having just sort of like an innate sense of where your teammates are going to be, the closest thing the Sixers have had to that is that Reddick and Bede two-man pairing. Um, they could really play off of each other well. Obviously, Embiid and the screens he would set would get Reddick a lot of open looks, and, and Reddick was one of the best in the business at cashing in on them. But also just the, the attention that Reddick would receive coming off of that screen would get Joel an occasional easy look, which is something they just haven't really gotten Joel all that much of 
since Reddick left. Uh, this is one area where you look at you know Seth Curry and you say, okay, he's an elite catch-and-shoot shooter. He has a little more off the dribble than J.J. Reddick, but he doesn't have that game you know, flying off of a pin down at 100 miles an hour. He does, he's not going to really form that elbow dribble handoff game that, that Embiid used so, so much. Um, it is going to be different. And they still, you know, I think they're relying on Shake Milton quite a bit, or at least they hope that Shake Milton can give them a little bit more. Uh, he certainly played well towards the end of part one of last season, <laughs> and he acquitted himself reasonably well against the Celtics. He had a little little trouble creating and getting into the half-court offense, but I think he scored like 14 a night on like 40% three-point shooting, and if they can get that out of him going forward, then they will have another another rotation piece. But yeah, they certainly don't have anyone approaching a, a go-to offensive set, a go-to action that they can say, look, there's seven seconds left on the shot clock. Uh, we're going to call a timeout, run this play, give the ball to this guy. Uh, that's just not the team that they, they, they built. That's not the team that uh, is is the one that we saw last year. It will be interesting to see how Doc Rivers sort of overcomes that. Yeah, and you know maybe Curry can take on a little bit more of that role. You know he hasn't been asked to do that. Like he's going to start here. He's going to be uh, someone who you know you would love to be able to do that. Maybe they'll try it. But you're right. I mean he doesn't have that quick release, that quick rise up going to his right that Reddick had really shooting it on the move. We haven't seen that from him yet. But he's a good enough natural shooter that you know maybe he could speed up his release a little bit yeah. and get I there. Mean, one thing to say, like, is he going to be J.J. Redick off of a screen? No, almost nobody in the history of the sport has been J.J. Redick off of a screen. Like, the way he could get his his body, his, his footwork underneath him and, and go up under control while still, I mean, he would do it off of a dead sprint. It was really incredible to watch. Will Seth Curry ever develop into that? No. But can he get a little bit better off of that? Maybe. Maybe, for sure. He certainly has a diverse enough shooting profile outside of that where you say, like, he's he's got the talent and the footwork and the coordination and the body control. Um, so, yeah, I think there's a chance you could get better. Yeah. So let's talk about what these lineups are going to look like that Doc Rivers is going to deploy. Starters looking like it's going to be Curry and Green along with the guys who are written in pen, Harris, Joel Embiid, and Ben Simmons. Is that how they're looking like they're going to line up, you think? Yeah, he, he has, uh, uh, Doc has all but said that, yep. All right, so who are your other rotation guys then? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it's going to be, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of, I think Shake Milton's essentially going to be the sixth man. Uh, whether or not that's every night or just on a, a night-to-night face, it could change a little bit. But I think he's probably going to get the most minutes off of the bench. Um, you know, I think you're going to see a lot of, quite honestly, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, which maybe a lot of people wouldn't expect, but I think they really value his shooting uh, and they really need his shooting in that regard. And then after that, it, it could, I mean, it could, you could see a lot of change on a night-to-night basis. Um, I think Mike Scott has a chance to sort of work his way back into into the rotation. You know, I think the Sixers last year having about 45, give or take, power forwards hurt him a little bit. Uh, but I think because they lost Al Horford and he ate up a lot of minutes at the before, I think that probably opened up a, a slightly bigger role for Mike Scott. And they've always valued his shooting um, in that regard uh, and, and his shooting very specifically next to Embiid. Uh, and then I think you have a lot of uncertainty. You know, I think they would love for Tyrese Maxey to step into a on-ball point of attack defender role uh, and also somebody who can get to the rim. I think that's way too much to ask for a, um, you know, a first year guard off the bench. You know, I think you've got a lot of unknowns really once you get behind that. Yeah, obviously Dwight Howard is going to be the center, the backup center. Uh, Tony Bradley is a, a probably a viable backup, uh, at least for Joel's backup, a 15 minute per game sure. guy. They need to go into, uh, into that. I would like to see a little more di- diversity in the skill sets of the, the centers. You know, I think one thing that was sort of lost in the Al Horford uh, debacle last year is that he really was like when Joel went to the bench, he was a good offensive pairing to put next to Ben yep. Simmons and, and, and to operate in a sort of different, a, a slight variation of that offense in 2017, 18, where they won, I think 16 straight to end the season. Uh, he, he, he was a good offensive fit when Embiid went to the bench. The problem is you don't pay $109 million for 15 minutes per game of production for a player who can't play next to your best player. So that's true, but I would have liked to have seen them maybe um, find somebody in that mold cheaper. And I don't know who that is, uh, but that's certainly a skill set they don't have. But I mean, Dwight Dwight's going to be your backup center, um, and then we will see where they go from there. Uh, I think the the sort of ninth, you know, if you look at it from a, a numbers perspective, you've got Shake and Furkan sort of at the top of the, the guard rotation off the bench, and then you've got 
um, Dwight Howard and Mike Scott, I think, sort of as the center or, or the big man rotation off the bench. And then sort of like that 10th, 11th, 12th man, I think, could change on a nightly basis. Well, the next question that I have about how Doc Rivers is going to construct things is, are they going to go with the Simmons and Embiid stagger? And, you know, I think that's something that seemed to work pretty well, as has been mentioned ad nauseum. They don't have the most complementary of skill sets. But then I think Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons have a more complementary skill set than Ben Simmons and Dwight Howard. You know, so you're, yeah. and yeah. that's really your only backup center. Yeah, maybe Mike Scott could get a little time as your backup center in certain matchups, but he probably doesn't have enough heft. Your defense is probably going to really struggle with him at center. So I'm really curious to think of whether this is going to be the usual stagger that we saw going back to that 17-18 season and, and that we've seen throughout the Brett Braun era, or whether they're going to try and do something different and if they do stagger then what do those units look like particularly when it's Ben Simmons on the floor without Joel Embiid yeah I mean look I, th- I think you're, you're still gonna want to split them up quite a, like you but the end goal is still going to be you don't want any time on a game when they're both healthy where one of those two aren't on the court uh, so I think you're gonna stagger them you know how much you stagger Embiid and Simmons might be close to the same I think where it might change a little bit is you know in previous years you had very defined well this is when when Simmons goes to the bench bench this is gonna be who's on the court with Joel and when Joel goes to the bench, this is who's going to be on the court with Simmons. And those those sort of groupings, those three to five man groupings, that were three man groupings that would say pretty consistent game after game after game might be a little more fluid. But I think probably I I would guess, and this is just a guess. Uh, like I said, we haven't seen really any of practice and the the preseason game. This is we're recording this before the first preseason game. I would guess you'll still probably see a pretty aggressive stagger between those two. Make sure you have one of those on the court at all times. Um, like you said, you don't they don't naturally complement each other. Uh, on the offensive side as much as star pairings normally would anyway. But it is a, a very good point that I'm not entirely sure how Dwight Howard compliments Ben Simmons offensively either. Uh, and that's one area where I'd love to see Ben just, like, he, even with Dwight there, like, you've got to attack the rim more. Like, get into the paint, suck up Dwight's defender, open up those cutting lanes, open up those offensive rebounding lanes. He can, If he continues to go up with, you know, soft floaters like he did in the first half of last season, that's not maximizing Dwight either. So it, it's, it's yeah, I mean, it, it's not a perfect set pairing for uh for Simmons I don't think yeah and Howard for the a guy who has no shooting range his offensive rebounding his activity his ability to go up and get an alley-oop like he at least does have some gravity you know you're not talking about someone like Costa Kufos who like you know is not going to be able to play above the rim and isn't going to be able to play away from the rim either so it's not that terrible I would say well to see what kind of shape Dwight comes in as well he was in awesome shape last year but obviously had a couple of lost years before that so we'll see you know he, he may be pretty motivated after the old snafu uh, that happened with the Lakers <laughs> that led to him, uh, his unlikely signing in Philly. And yeah, I think you. Do, I agree with you on the stagger because yes, you know, Simmons and Howard is not amazing, but you know, what the hell are you doing offensively if you don't have either Simmons or Embiid right. on the floor? Yeah, I mean, I mean, yeah. I like, Who knows? Maybe, maybe Shake does take a step. Maybe Tobias gets back to Doc, um, can regain a little bit of his 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 previous form. A little bit dubious on that one, but maybe you could get by for like a one or two minute stretch here or there. You know, maybe maybe two or three minutes each half. Um, but you don't want to do that for extended times for sure. Yeah, and also I like the idea of playing Embiid in three stints the way they did before. I mean, he would go out the seven-minute mark of the first quarter. That's earlier than basically any star goes out of the game, but then they can get him back in and really your individual matchup in the post is so much more important than it is at other positions and so during the regular season when coaches are just running their rotation on autopilot he would would feast in the end of the first quarter early second for sure yeah a lot of teams have like a skinny backup center or you know just a really foul prone guy and particularly at the end of the first quarter when you're already in the bonus to have Joel Embiid go against the other teams like young backup center who is just gonna foul him twice on the rip through move you know that was just that's free point so i i definitely think they should try to stick with that and particularly given how rigid opposing coaches are with their rotations a lot of times in the regular season we saw obviously in the playoffs that uh two years ago that they tried to match up gasol with him and that was one of the turning points of that series um also a key turning point uh the the fourth bounce on Kawhi's shot that was a very key turning point in that series (laughs) (sighs) oh man uh 
I, I think people sometimes forget that the game was tied at that point that yeah. toronto wasn't Correct. wasn't down by one but still Correct. it's uh you know even if even if that shot misses they only have a 50 percent chance of winning the game at, at most probably uh, on the road in overtime but uh also you know they weren't going to play a backup center who's going to be negative 12 in three minutes during the overtime so maybe <laughs> right. maybe they would have been favored um, greg monroe that or what i think when Embiid went to the bench the six or i think Embiid on the court they outscored him by like 105 points in that series and then beat on the bench they were outscored by like 110 or something completely absurd and i think that led to a slight over slight i'm air quoting here overreaction with 109 million dollars to al horford the following yeah. season but yeah yep uh well that's a that's all uh water in the delaware river at, at this point though so uh let's see what else do we have to talk about with these guys any like kind of just big issues that stick out uh big questions that you had that we haven't hit on yet yeah i mean there's it's it's how much uh, so one of the things that concerns me a little bit you, you bring danny green in and solid veteran good shooter uh you need all good so, solid man-to-man defender you need all that i do wonder a little bit how much that's going to impact matisse thibel you know on the one hand thibel will have somebody to learn from who has played his his role uh so well for so long on the other hand i do worry a little bit how many complete non-dribblers you can put out there on the court at the same time um that is something where you know yeah you put green well, in, well would and, you like to know the answer to that question because you're going to find out this year yeah i'm sure <laughs> Um, you know, but I do worry a little bit, like if Matisse comes out and he struggles with his shot, like, can he just get swallowed up in the rotation? Because you have someone so similar with, with very similar deficiencies in Danny Green. Uh, And I would like to see Matisse develop. I would like to see him have a chance to play through some of his growing pains. I hope that turns out to be true because he he certainly does have some limitations, uh, which I think could end up become frustrating at times, but he's so unique defensively that I just, I would like to see him have a chance. I think that's one of the big questions marks rookies are always big question marks and my general stance on rookie is just don't expect anything this year uh you know if you're a top five pick then maybe and that's even less because not necessarily because you're ready but because your team's not ready to compete but on a contender like the sixers or at least a, a strong playoff team like the sixers um my, my someone like maxi i would say just anything you get is gravy but you have seen a a a lot of kentucky guards come out contribute early um, maxi doesn't necessarily fit that archetype that have have been early contributors but i'd like to see what he can bring because i do think they need sort of that point of attack defender outside of ben simmons um i think there's a lot of you know it is and quite frankly shake milton like what what really is shake milton you know he came out in like the last 11 or so games before covid um happened and and before we had that that pause and he was just on fire and he was i think it was 18 a game or something like that over an 11 game stretch shooting like a million percent from three he came out and, and, and after that long break and he he shot well and what does that mean and what does that mean with his pairing with ben simmons you know they ran a lot of stuff with ben simmons sort of initiating from the elbow and having shake melton play off of him you know he can pull up off the dribble for sure he can catch and shoot for sure he's not a complete non-passer he's got some decent vision can they get him to the point where he can compete enough defensively where he can stick on the floor and can he create a little bit more off the dribble now that the floor is spaced a little bit better and and find a way to play off of his two stars i do think he is a legit nba rotation player is he more than that and I'm, I'm really interested to see that in part because the Sixers very desperately need some cost controlled young talent, both to fill out this roster uh, in, in seasons when maybe the owner doesn't want to get too far into the luxury tax and also for trade chips because they just don't have too many left. So his his development is, is certainly very key in the Sixers in that regard. And we saw a lot of good from him last spring. Uh, we saw some pretty good from him over the summer. And and what does that mean going forward? So as I think about this team, you know, one of my big questions is I think that they can be solid offensively. And it, as I go back to look at that 17-18 season, they were ninth on offense and third on defense. Now, I don't yeah. think that they can really be that much better offensively. And also just it's been a it's a more offensive environment at this point where you've got uh, – just so many good offenses now probably better than you had in 2018 and there's there's, also there's more tape on and beating simmons too like other teams know how to um you know pick apart their weaknesses a little bit more too yeah they're not gonna have reddick although Embiid and simmons themselves should be better players now you would think and you know but really to me the big question i I think these guys are gonna be you know they actually quietly were 11th in offense last year you know that wasn't necessary like if the defense had been as advertised that probably actually was a good enough offense at least in the regular season to be the team that they kind of wanted to be um but so that 17-18 team was third in defense and i don't know that i see this team 
quite being able to get there uh you know Joel Embiid in 17-18 really you know, until getting injured at the end was neck and neck as far as being defensive player of the year if they're going to really be a team like Bontemps shockingly enough to on yesterday's podcast that he did said he's got Philly coming out of the east I, I can't go to, to that level but if they are going to be that type of a team I think they got to get up to being you know a top three defense and it's really falls on Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons at this point like they don't green is okay but he's not going to give them what Robert Covington did no. uh that year as a team defender and you know maybe Thibel can if he emerges into a big rotation role but what do you think about that what this team's defense is going to look like ultimately yeah, I mean, I think they are going to be. What did they end up last year? Like right around ten. Yeah, I think they're like they might have been like 10, eighth 12? or something. Yeah, eighth, which is somewhere in that range. It's yeah. been so long ago. That I barely even remember last year because so much of it happened like a year ago at this point. Um, they were not. I, a lot of this comes back to they had the weirdest home road splits. You know, actually, they when a regular season starts, they will have gone an entire entire year without you losing a regular season or postseason game at the Wells Fargo Center uh, because they obviously <laughs> lost those games in in the bubble. Um, but the last time they lost a game and lost a game at all right now, and I'm only saying regular season postseason because they play a, a preseason game here later tonight. Uh, but the last time they lost a game at their building was like December 20th or something, uh, 2019. So they had the craziest home road splits you will. I mean, they were like 28 and two at home. And then like they played like a non-playoff team on the road. And a lot of those splits come down to shooting as splits very often do. Uh, a lot of their bad defensive splits, I think if you look, would look at their, um, you know, their, their shot quality, their opponent's shot quality, they were generally giving up the shots that they wanted. Uh, a lot of teams, it, it, is that variance or did they let some really good shooters walk into shots that they could make? It's tough to say. A lot of those, but uh, getting back to it, I think a lot of of why were they not as good of a defense as we thought? For part of it was 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 for sure injuries, and that starting lineup. I think we only saw play like maybe thirty times all season, and and a lot of the players who missed time, Ben Simmons at the end of the season, Josh Richardson a lot in the middle of the season, Joel Embiid obviously missed some time, were very key components of that defense. So I think they could have been better, but also it just didn't seem like Joel Embiid was the force that we had become accustomed to, and his effort, especially on the road, was very up and down and his engagement level was up and down so you know i think part of the the how poorly the off the, the team fit around him offensively and the struggles they had seeped into his effort level on defense so when you're looking at how can they improve over last year a lot of it does come down to Joel Embiid and whether or not you're going to get the best version of that. And I do think a part of that does then come down to, does he feel like he is being utilized correctly and does he have a chance to succeed offensively? Uh, and I think they will be better equipped to do that. So I think this will be a top 10 defense. I think this will probably be somewhere in the five through seven range. I do agree with you. Though, there's just a couple too many offensive players who they rely on, who can be picked on for me to really believe that they're going to be like the best defense in the league, um, whether that is, you know, Curry or Milton or a couple other players, there's just not like there's there's especially in the playoffs and and so much of the offensive success or so much of the regular season success you're learning, especially with this team and, and such pronounced strengths and weaknesses is tough to then translate to playoff environments. Um, but I just, I feel like there are a couple more, uh, another piece or two, and that's partly where Maxi comes in because I think they could really use another guard. You go down their top three guards and Curry, um, Milton and, and Furkan Korkmaz, they're all huge defensive negatives. They could really use somebody who can come in there and be sort of a two-way guard, which they really don't have outside of Ben Simmons. It just, it, it, it does feel like there is a functional limit to how high they can go. And that might be a top like five to seven defense, but we'll see. I mean, look, Joel Embiid, when he's fully engaged and when he's playing at the top of his game, he can cover up a lot. And Ben Simmons is one of the most versatile players. And if he's healthy the whole season, he can cover up a lot. But I do agree with you, like getting into the top three range seems like a bit of a stretch. For all the laments about last year, however, 104 defensive rating per cleaning the glass, which is 94th percentile, you know, right around the level of the number two, number three defense in the NBA when Joel Embiid was on the floor. Oh, yeah. And yeah. And that was that was a completely like I said that was a disengaged Joel Embiid who just didn't look like he quite had the same uh, as 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 previous years for sure. Yep. Yeah, and, and now again they did play that starting lineup was the most number of possessions that he played, and you know they they couldn't score at all with that starting lineup, but it still was pretty good defensively as well. And so I don't know. I, I mean, I'm not going to rule out that they could be really really good defensively, but I also don't think that they're going to be uh, on the level of like so the absolute best defenses. I don't necessarily yeah. see a dominant regular season defense. You know, I thought Milwaukee and Toronto were the two best last year. I think they're both going to take steps back uh, with 
some of the personnel changes milwaukee maybe not in their starting unit but definitely with their bench and toronto they lost some of their bigs so maybe there's not going to be like these all world defensive teams this year you know the lakers uh they also really i think got worse defensively during the regular season so maybe the sixers can get up there but uh, as you mentioned it's going to take a lot from joel Embiid. uh let's see here big strengths for these guys I mean, I, I, I mean, defensively, I think it will be a strength. It's just will it be an eighth like last year or or more closer to the previous two years? But they will be a good def- like if they're not a top ten defensive team, I will be pretty stunned. Um, I think they will be a reasonably good shooting team. Like I could see this team being like top ten percent and right around tenth in terms of 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 total. Eh, maybe not tenth in total taken. It's tough when you have two players who pretty much don't take them. Uh, but I could see them being a good shooting team. Uh, they should be a better offensive rebounding team than. Uh, yeah, with Howard out there, I think. I think yeah, they, they will be, as opposed that's to fair. And, and, and Bradley too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Um, yeah, Bradley is a wonderful offensive rebounder. So they should be a good offensive rebounding team. Um, it's it's still it just comes down to guard play and do you have enough who can create off the dribble? Um, I mean they'll be the number one usage post up team in the league. That's a that's a given. Um, yeah. It is, uh, and I think they'll get a lot of deflections too. Like I think they will have a chance to get out and run. Hopefully more than they did in some previous years uh, with with Simmons, who I think led the league in steals or was right up there, and Green and and Thibel. Um, you know, again, I would like a little more in terms of uh, point of attack defenders to really make that jump outside of Ben Simmons. But I think they have a they have a chance to get out and transition too. Um, it's just can they create in the half court? I'm not a hundred percent sure. The uh, how many turnovers they're going to force? I'm not sure whether that's a strength or a weakness. We've seen that playing a conservative drop back style with Joel. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Doc Rivers has said that they want to be a little bit more versatile in terms of their pick and roll coverages. Sure, but you're still like, look at the center rotation. You've got Embiid and Dwight Howard and Tony Bradley, and like, they're not, you're not switching them all that often. Like, they might be a little more aggressive. And I think where you'll see a difference is, you know, maybe some of the wing defenders, like the bigs will probably still drop maybe a, a step or two out farther, but they'll still drop generally. But maybe you see a little bit more help from the wings. And mm. whereas, whereas Brett Brown and his staff really prioritize not giving up that three-pointer, they might be a little more aggressive in forcing a turnover and giving up that three if they if, if that comes to it. Um, but yeah, they're certainly still playing a, a largely drop scheme. Yeah, and maybe, I mean, because when you consider who they're going to have to go up against in the playoffs, they need another option. We saw that in the Celtics series where Jason Tatum and Kemba Walker just completely tore the drop coverage and yeah that was a bad matchup you know if you're going against Milwaukee you don't have to worry about that necessarily uh but and same thing with Miami too if they're going to play Miami in the playoffs Duncan Robinson Tyler Hero flying off those handoffs they're going to get open some of the time especially because this team doesn't have the type of defenders tracking off the ball for a guy like Duncan Robinson that maybe they've had in the past so you they're going to need to have if it's not switching at least some ability for the bigs to get up to the level of the ball and some of these plays but then also I, I think what's really in vogue is a lot of this helping from the wing giving up that above the break three-pointer one pass away with a guy closing out at you kind of feverishly you know almost, almost like kind of pack line sort of principles yep. uh you know that's what the bucks uh, have been doing denver kind of switched up to do that in the playoffs last year it really helped Jokic uh, a lot as well so that does allow you to leave joel and beat under the rim and really protect the rim and they can do the same with howard howard actually has decent mobility still like he if he's in the type of shape he was last year they might be able to change up their pick and roll coverage but getting back to what you were saying about the turn Turnovers, I think that's a fascinating question because they typically have not forced that many turnovers the last couple of years with Embiid because you know if you have a very very conservative pick and roll scheme that can happen sometimes but you mentioned all these guys who force turnovers Danny Green can get a few make some help plays uh make some plays in transition if he's going right we'll see where he's at from an age standpoint Seth Curry actually is a really good steals guy as well so that to me I think is going to be the big question about this defense if we are talking about them getting back into that top five type of a level that's another big question if they can force turnovers at an above average rate then things start to look really good for them and then that that also of course fuels the transition game with Simmons and since they're not going to be a great half court offense that's going to be key as well yep for sure you uh, you spoke so long. I was gonna make a Tony Bennett, uh, Justin Anderson pack line joke, but uh, it, it's not even relevant anymore. <laughs> they do have someone to teach that that defense. Um. So, any other weaknesses uh, that pop out to you that we haven't hit on yet? I mean, it's it's really like. I mean, my my other weakness would be like, are your shooters playable in in, in the playoffs? Yeah. Like a lot of their 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 shooting 
and spacing is predicated on guys who just are really going to have a, a tough time hanging defensively in the playoff. And this is one where you'd love to see some growth from Shake Milton. He claims to have added 15 pounds of muscle over the offseason, which is uh, complete You gotta say like BS. 17. You, you gotta say like, I've added 13 pounds, right? It's the same thing as like those listicles when yeah. you're, you're searching it, right? Like you gotta do a number that doesn't end in like a zero or a five, right, so it'll like right. show up more on the search results. Like when you're talking about the amount of muscle you've added, say, say I added like 12 and a half pounds. It is impossible to add 15 pounds of muscle mass in three months. Uh, at most, you can maybe get one to two pounds, and that that is sort of like the upper limit. Now, maybe shake, but point is, he claims to have added some muscle mass. We'll just go with some over the summer, which would be good because he has a pretty good wingspan um, where he could theoretically defend up position a little bit more, which would help him because he's his his foot speed is not elite. Uh, but if he can if he can hang defensively in the playoffs, that would be huge because I think Seth Curry has enough where he can hang defensively, but he's not going to be a plus defender, but you just hope he can compete at least in that regard. Um, but Furkan Korkmaz, you worry about in the playoffs. Uh, Milton, right now, you worry about in the playoffs. Uh, my One of my big concerns is that so much of your shooting prowess is in guys who I'm just not 100% convinced can play um, when it really matters. So that will be something to watch over the regular season as well. Yeah. Now, if you do have Joel and B behind them, that does make it a it's little easier. bit easier. It's easier. Yep. Yeah. Sure. I, mean, I mean, they got away. They played great defense in 2019 with J.J. Redick, who, again, well, executes J- his, his assignment. But. J.J. and Dario and Marco Bellinelli, like that was not in a, a bunch of elite defensive players either. Uh, for sure. For sure. Fair point. Um, all right. You ready for predictions here? Okay. Let's go for it. All right. I, I, so uh, we've talked about where I think they're going to rank in offense and defense. You know, I think they're going to be, I have a minute here in the 12 to 17 range offensively. And then defensively, I have them in a tier in the six to 10 range. And, you know, injuries are going to determine that. Embiid's effectiveness is going to determine that. I think how much Matisse Thibel plays is going to determine some of that too, where they'll be better, a lot better defensively and worse offensively when he plays uh you know and shake milton maybe is sort of the opposite from him so do those numbers kind of sound right to you as a projection yeah on i, think, and I defense? think that's that's about right certainly defensively that six to ten range i think is is fair you know offensively i i would probably say towards the upper end of that 12 through 17 range just because of, of sheer physical talent um you know i i, I mean what did they end up last year offensively like 14 something uh no they're higher 13. than that. i think they were yeah 11th last year okay and and watching them it it felt like they were about 25th uh, but somehow they ended the season at uh you know a pretty decent ranking rate rate yeah, 12th ranking. excuse me sorry okay. they were uh and i yeah. do think i do think they will have more success offensively this year so i i would i would go towards the top of that range but i certainly think those ranges are fair so you know what, what does that get you uh, on average? I mean, I think that gets you to you know high forties, low fifties. Uh, I think I'll go right at fifty wins for these guys. Now we're going fifty wins in a normal season, right? Yes, yes. Thank okay. you. Yeah, <laughs> a, a fifty win quality. I was gonna say they're not going fifty team. and twenty two. I'm not. I'm not going. No, there. no. So fifty that would be forty four wins in a normal, or, or I'm sorry, in this season, fifty wins normally and. You know, I think when Embiid and Simmons are healthy, that they could play more like kind of, you know, a 53-win quality yeah. type of team. Uh, maybe even 54, maybe even 54 and a half. Sorry. Uh, but <laughs> they, uh, I think that obviously... Embiid is going to miss some time. He's not going to play all 72 games in a truncated season. That's just not going to happen. I'm very interested to see how many minutes he's going to play. They ramped his minutes down quite a bit last year into really like kind of the 30 minutes per game in a lot of games level. Do you have any kind of a sense of how many minutes they want to play him this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I I would guess you might see it go back up a little bit more, but I don't think you'll get back up to like I don't think you're gonna get in 35, 36 range. Like I would I would guess somewhere in the low 30s, 31, 32. I, and I think a lot of that comes down to just it is a tough season to really play big men, anyone really, but big men specifically, um, a, a a huge workload. And I think they have enough centers on the roster. They, they I think they have to still be pretty um pretty conservative in that regard. Um. All right. So, so my prediction is forty-four. Uh, what do you have? I'm trying to do mental math. For, forty-four gets to fifty. Yeah. G- yeah. Yeah. You can g- give me uh what you think will be. I over mean, I I, I think this 40. team when that when the supporting pieces around them aren't uh completely at odds with their skill set, 
And Bede and Simmons, I think, have proven to be a 52-ish win regular season team. I don't have too many questions outside of injury. What they will do in the regular season, it's how much of that can translate to the postseason and against the best defenses. And when you have the best coaches, and, and the East is pretty stacked with coaches, who can um, you know really game plan against them. But I think regular season, I would say a 52 win in an 82-game season. Yeah, so that would be 46 and, 46, 20, yeah. and 26 uh, as a uh, overall record this year. And best case scenario for me, I could see him getting into being along the lines of a, you know, 56 win team, maybe, you know, I can't see him quite going much uh, above that. Uh, So 56, that would be 49 over the course of a 72 game season. So that's, uh, that seems reasonable, right? Yeah, I think, I think that's fair. I I agree with you. I can't, unless Joel Embiid or Ben Simmons just really makes that jump into top five player territory, I don't see them going much beyond what would be a 56 win team in a, in, a, in a normal season um, but I do think they have everything goes right health wise uh, some of the pieces allow Simmons and Embiid to be a little bit better I do think they have that kind of upside again my question like I, I we can talk about regular season it's just how much that translates I truthfully I'm interested to see it for sure yeah because it has been a couple of years now other than the Jimmy Butler year where they've kind of punched below their weight uh, although last year obviously they did not have Ben Simmons worst case scenario I mean at this point you know we don't like to do your best player gets injured on the first day of the season and misses the whole year type of stuff but given the history not only with uh Embiid but Simmons and we haven't talked that much about his health he had this back issue then he had a this knee issue on kind of a weird benign play like you never like to see when guys get injured on just doing something that's like not even really what you would consider a risky type of play you know that's never a great sign for like someone's proprioception and i think those are the types of the times when i'm like hmm like that could happen again but simmons of course is like such a great athlete and an iron man he hasn't been hurt in the slightest really before these uh, last two injuries well he he had he had the broken foot and what would have been his um what would have been his rookie year that was just an acute like freak landing on like he landed on other players foot but he did have a jones fracture in what would have been his his first year yeah and you know i mean i he under normal circumstances he probably would not have missed the entire season i, I think we could uh, say with that but and he's had no issues with that nope, since no then, issues so, yep. um but i mean i think you have to look very seriously at the idea that in a worst case scenario you could see simmons missing 15 games and Embiid missing 25 games and for sure without those two guys uh they're gonna be in big trouble so you know i could see it falling down to really being around 500 uh if that's the case i think this team has a little bit lower of a downside than they do an upside just because of some of the injury concerns yeah i mean look the 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 downside like the the upside to to building your team to be so focused on complementing your stars is that if everyone's available in the playoffs it has a better chance of working than the previous year the downside is since you're so reliant on your stars if, if they miss time then i mean you're you're up a creek uh so yeah i agree with you that there is certainly downside if um if the injury gods do not favor them um yeah so what do you think that would be is 500 too low uh, for no that? no uh, when you start talking about injuries and, and it's hard to predict but like you said these are, are certainly one guy who is has injury risk in his profile uh, I certainly don't think 500 is too low. Um, I, I would I would say that they're like it's too low if it's not like something out of their control, like an injury. Like I don't see them, I don't see Embiid and Simmons coming out and struggling to a, to a 500 season. Right. But if they, I mean, if they miss significant time, for sure. For sure. I mean, you, you could depending on how dark you want to be, like you could certainly go lower than that if uh, if if a real catastrophic injury comes out. Yeah, and just so you know how infallible we are in our predictions, we should probably oh, say what don't we, do this. Don't what do we this. Picked last year. Nope. <laughs> hey, at once it's entered into the spreadsheet, it's fair game. I I don't keep the spreadsheet to not say what we picked <laughs> last year. Uh, I picked 53 wins. You had in the 55, 56 range, and they ended up uh, playing at basically, they didn't really have any luck point differential-wise either way, so they played at the level of a 48-win team uh, in the end at 43 and 30. Um yeah, I thought I thought that defense was going to be world class. It did not yeah. come out. No, that me way. too. I, I thought they. I mean, I was like, this could be one of the greatest defense teams of all time, and uh, that was not in fact the case. As it turned out, um, do you have any time left? By the way, I know I kept you long because we had that sure. break. I Go I wouldn't it. mind talking five minutes about like potential Harden trade, but I can I can let you go if you got. I, I was going to say I was do. very impressed that we had gone what about an hour into this and you hadn't even brought him up no go for it go for it 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 was a nice diversion for sure yeah yeah uh 
So I'll ask you two questions here. The first question I want to ask you actually is if Ben Simmons has to be thrown into a hardened trade, should they do it? So we'll assume that this is before the trade deadline. Yeah. So there's so much that comes down to this that I just don't know. Like, why has James Harden not had a long-term relationship with the co-star? Like, that is the number one. And will Joel Embiid be okay if his usage rate drops to 26%? uh, And he's clearly not the number one option on this team. Those are two pieces of information that it's very hard for me to say with any kind of um, certainty. And they're huge. So I will answer this in the only way I can, which is just looking at it purely in a basketball and a financial sense. I would, I, I, I would. Um, I think the opportunity to get somebody like James Harden, a, a, a top five-ish player, and we can argue is it top five, is it top seven? At that point, I think it starts becoming a distinction without a difference. When you start talking about legitimate all NBA first team players and legitimate MVP candidates, it is who has two years left on his contract and an option for a third and is still in his prime. It is hard for me to turn that down, especially when you have somebody, you know, I look at someone like Joel Embiid and I think one of the most unforgivable sins is to waste a star's prime. And I think when Joel Embiid is at his very best, he plays like a top 7 to 12 player. Uh, I think he has to make significant improvements to get above that, but he's a, a very, very good player. And to waste that would really burn me. Uh, and does that mean you lose a couple of years? You know, the way I sort of, of phrased it, um, a lot of this comes down to, first of all, those those two sort of like character and, and interpersonal questions that someone like Daryl Morey, quite frankly, has a lot more information on than I do. And, and, and while he will certainly make mistakes, he at least has information on this decision that I don't, which I think is key. But the way I sort of phrased it, you know, I think a lot of Sixers fans look at Simmons and Embiid and they say well you could have these guys for six eight years why would you give up a six to eight year window you could but I think the way to look at it is you have two years and if it doesn't work out then who knows whether one of them might want to try somewhere else whether or not there might be pressure from team Joel or team team Simmons to say I want a team built around me you know I think expectations have a way of fracture especially in today's NBA where I'm player empowerment and star empowerment is a real thing if you go let's say you're three years into it it doesn't work out you have two more second round exits these next two years like there is a real risk that one of them just says look I think I could I could reach higher heights if I had a team built around me if I had the ball more if I had a, a bigger role um that is not a non-zero threat. So the way I look at it, we and a lot of the discussion around Harden is about championship windows. And theoretically, Simmons extends your championship window because he's so young at 24, because he's in such good shape, and you think he could have six, seven, eight years left of his prime. But if if you're sitting here in two years and you haven't advanced past the second round, do you actually have eight years left of that grouping? I don't know that you do. I think the way it happens is you have a, a two to three year window and if it succeeds, then you might get another four or five years of that duo. And that's being a little optimistic with Joel's prime, but that's sort of the way I look at it. So is it worth giving up that chance that you might have a couple more years of that championship equity for three years of Embiid and Harden? And I think the fit between Embiid and Harden is so much better. And the talent gap between Harden and Simmons is so wide that I would prioritize those three years. Now, you actually have to get, no, be confident that you are getting three years of Embiid and Simmons with, you know, a chance that maybe the aging curve between those two extends that three years to four years or five years. There's a chance of that. But you you're have you're talking about Embiid and Harden now, right? Yeah, what are they? I, I, uh, yeah, I think, I think you said Simmons, yeah. but yeah, you, yeah. So You have to be exceptionally confident that you're getting a three to five year window with Embiid and Harden to make that trade. And that's where you start looking at, well, what went wrong with Chris Paul? What went wrong with Dwight Howard? What, what went wrong with Russell Westbrook? I can't answer that. And you have to be really confident that you can answer that to make that trade. Um, but like I said, purely basketball, purely financial, I would. Uh, I would wait until the trade deadline to see if um, you can get this. Like right now, what they're asking for, they're essentially asking for a godfather offer um, to to make that. I wouldn't do that now. I would wait to see what your team looks like. I would wait to see what the asking price comes down. Uh, but if I had to, and I, I was confident in, in Harden and Embiid being happy together for that three to five year window, then I would. Yeah, I kind of see it as more of a two-year window with Harden, number one, because he can opt out. And number two, I just don't think, you know, with him at age 31 now, James Harden at 33 or older, uh, I just, you know, particularly with some of his defensive limitations and the fact that he's just, every year it seems like he becomes more and more of a caricature of himself. (sighs) 
offensively. He, look, well, he, he's so interesting because on the one hand, like that range should age. Some of the BS foul drawing stuff should age. Um, but he's not exactly the world's finest tuned physical specimen right now anyway. So who knows how that's going to age. It, he is going to be a real interesting aging curve for sure. Yeah, and I'm not sure how well the BS foul drawing will age because it is still set up by the threat of his drive and you're putting your hands on him when he's driving and then he's able to accentuate that contact. If he's not able to get by anyone, then you're not putting guys into those vulnerable situations where they are going to foul other than, you know, uh, on the step back. And, you know, sure. he might struggle to yep. create separation on the step back too if his drive isn't there. I mean, I've definitely, his finishing at the rim to me has already declined pretty significantly. So I'm, as someone who I'm probably lower on Simmons and lower on Harden than right. many people are, um, you know, and, and I wonder about what you're going to do defensively when James Harden kind of has to switch but you also have this great rim protector that you don't want to switch with you know that that'll be an interesting question yeah also and you know the combination of like doc rivers and james harden and joel Embiid uh all together in a playoff series you know that's like that makes me a little queasy you know harden is way better i mean probably i completely agree with you in that harden is probably way better now than simmons will ever be um although you want to get a look at it and then there's also kind of the opportunity cost too you know you talked about a two or three year window with simmons which i think is an interesting question but then you also i mean simmons is under contract for uh his extension just kicks just in this yep. year right yep. Yep. so even if it doesn't work a year or two from now you could trade ben simmons with three years left on his contract and you don't necessarily have to get someone the age of james harden maybe you could find someone that w- would give you a little bit longer of a window to continue on although sometimes trades in the nba don't work that way you know you're probably trading simmons for someone younger at that point that's easier so i don't know i'm uh it's, it's really tough because you're also kind of it gets like the existentialism of like why are you owning the team and why are you being a fan right would you rather have a two-year window of potentially winning a champion i don't know if getting hardened makes them the favorite probably makes them a favorite uh or would you rather have, you know, potentially a five-year window where you're winning 50 games every year, but, you know, you're probably not going to be among the top three or four championship contenders? I mean, the, the other thing they could look at, too, is either A, is James Harden the best guy you can get for Ben Simmons? And B, could you still get a third star, you know, maybe not an all-star, but someone along the lines of a Drew Holiday type if they wanted to throw in some future picks or something like that, someone in the last year of their contract who yep. would be that third uh, star who gives you a little more pick and roll ability and initiation to where you know they can kind of be a hybrid of what they were in 2019 and what they were in 2018 and really you know get into championship contention that way after you know they squandered the attempts to do that before it's still not impossible so i i want to get more information i also would say if the price is something significantly above ben simmons you know they want a bunch of picks too then i that kind of makes my decision for me yeah no that certainly um like when you start talking and this is such a it's it's a fascinating trade discussion because it is there's real risk on both sides there's real risk to passing there's a very real chance that you will never get a chance to trade ben simmons for somebody who is as capable of winning a championship alongside joel b as 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 james harden is right now uh you might never get that opportunity again offensively he's just about the perfect fit yeah and that is and, and you're right about the switching because that's that's how you hide Harden because he's so so strong. Um, it's tough to do that with Embiid. But there's also the risk that you trade for James Harden. He walks in two years. In four years, Joel Embiid is out of his prime. And now, especially if you've now traded a couple picks along with Ben Simmons to get James Harden, you have no real recourse to like that window can shrink in the blink of an eye. So there is very real risk on both sides. Um, I certainly understand any hesitation in 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 making that kind of a trade. Um, it's 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 a tough one, but I do lean towards saying yes. If you can tell me that you, if we want to call it a two year window with a chance that it could be three or four, if he comes back, um, but yeah, I have to have a real good reassurance that that would actually be, uh, be a likely outcome. Well, the other concern too, is that you're trading for James Harden. Either you're getting two years of him or you're getting more than two years of him on an absolute right. shit contract that he's yep. not going to be worth. Yep. So that's sure. also a, a concern uh, as well. All right. Well, thanks. Look, man. The this clubs is, in Philly yeah, just sorry. aren't that great. Who knows if he's going to be happy here long term? I don't know. No. Yeah. Well, he's so happy normally. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, this is awesome. Thanks again for uh, s- staying with us through the technical difficulties. And uh, also check out Derek's uh, great Sixers Beat podcast with Rich Osman, who I've also had on the show. I listened to every single episode of that to keep up. I apologize uh, with about this great that. Team. What's that? I said, I apologize about that. 
you having to listen through every episode. That's awful. I love you guys. You guys, you guys have great chemistry. You've known each other for so long uh, that uh, it's uh, it, it works out great. Unlike you know some podcast <laughs> partners, but uh, yeah, and uh, at Derek Bodner on Twitter at Derek Bodner NBA NBA. Yeah, thanks. I okay. am also at Derek Bodner. I just never tweet from that. That is a, a personal account. Uh, yeah, that's your your politics account. <laughs> no, just, that, just, that's just what kidding. people that's what people wish my politics account was. But no. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again. And uh, also read Derek's work, of course, at The Athletic, who's also a, a great partner to us. And uh, we'll be back. Got to record something on this Giannis thing real quick uh, as well. We'll talk to you all soon. Thanks so much for listening to this free preview of Dunked on Prime Total Access. A reminder, we are having our preseason sale 35% off when you buy a year membership to Dunked on Prime Total Access. Get it now as the sale ends when the season starts.